State of the Industry podcast. This episode is brought to you by the KP Movement Institute, offering online and in-person coaching services for those seeking pain-free movement, peak athletic performance, or to improve their overall health. Whether you've been training for years or are just starting out, the coaches at the KP Movement Institute will create a personalized training solution that fits your specific needs. Not only will you optimize your movement and function, but you'll be educated, empowered, and inspired towards a healthier and more active lifestyle. Contact info at kineticperformance.ca to set up your complimentary consultation today. Welcome back to the State of the Industry podcast. I am your host, Adam Youngsma. In today's episode, we have on the super coach herself, Nicole Rodriguez, all the way from Poland. I first met Nicole Rodriguez at a Perform Better conference in Long Beach, California several years ago. And I, to this day, remember walking into her coaching session and just being blown away by the way she was able to control the environment, everybody in it through the use of her posture, her positioning, as well as the use of her voice. And you can tell that coaching is part of Nicole's DNA. She's been doing it for a long, long time. She had some great mentors, including her father. And it shows every single time you have the pleasure of seeing or hearing her coach or speak, you become instantly a better coach. Now, Nicole is a human performance coach serving athletes, coaches across the globe, and she develops resources for athletes, coaches, and parents to help them reach their potential. She has worked with some of the top professional and Olympic athletes in numerous sports across the globe and has found her way back to youth development. And this is where our conversation begins. Nicole shares some of the key principles she uses when consulting with youth sports academies to help not just develop better young athletes, but really develop better people. And this is a big game changer for me when starting to think about what are you planning on doing? Like what's your end goal with any client that you see, whether they are a young athlete, a professional athlete, or just an average individual, you're not training for them for what they're doing in the gym, probably not even their occupation, but you're training them for the future, right? You're training them for what they're going to do next. And specifically with young youth athletes, this is a big, big thing because most of them aren't going to make it. And it's a sad reality, but it's the truth. And we have to start setting them up for success and really preparing them for the possibility that they won't make it or what are they going to do and how are we going to better prepare them for when their career is done if they do succeed. And she goes through all of this and more in this podcast So sit back, relax, and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome, Nicole Rodriguez, to the State of the Industry podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining. Uh, Ever since I last saw you at a Perform Better conference in Long Beach, California, I've, I've had a whole bunch of questions that I've wanted to ask because the session that I went to of yours was uh, is was very fascinating and eye-opening from a strength and conditioning, like a coach's perspective. Because when we first hopped into that session, you, like, this is my first time ever seeing you as well. I walk in to a coaching session and I see this petite little girl standing there or woman standing there. I'm like, holy, and like commanding the room with everything that you do and say, and that's what the session was about. So it was, it was awesome to see it not only in action, but also here. And I learned so much about coaching. Now I'm not small, I'm 6'2", I'm 210 pounds, but just understanding the different ways to control a room in coaching um, was like just awesome to see and hear all of that. So kudos to you for that. We're going to get into that a little bit later. We won't, we won't <laughs> talk about that now. Um, but you're also... I think the fourth 
Exos or past Exos um, employee that I've spoken with on the podcast. I've had Brandon Rossello on. I've had Nick Winkleman on. Um, I'm sure there's a couple others that I'm now forgetting their names. But anyways, I've had a whole bunch of past Exos. And I'm always amazed at the level that you get to. And so I know I asked this question to, to Nick Winkleman and he was like, wow, I've never actually asked this or thought about this question. Nobody's ever asked me this before. So I'm going to ask you the same question, but what made Exos different to allow the p- different people who have worked there in the past get to like Nick is big, like he's, you know, head of coaching. He's got wrote, written a book. Brandon Marcello does his thing, you know, um, mm-hmm. even Sue Falsone, like, right, like really well-known and then you really well-known travel around what made Exos different to allow you guys to just spread your wings and, and really reach kind of, I guess, the heights that you're at within the strength mm-hmm. and conditioning coaching world. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. There's some legendary coaches. Um, the list is actually quite extensive, uh, and, you know, to be straightforward, I think it, it's all based on, on leadership. I think everything from obviously the founder of the company, uh, Mark Verstegen, vice presidents and um, the, the leadership and the management, you know, as in Mark Verstegen's words, right, they all, they all piss excellence, so to speak. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I think they're from their core values and, and their, their principles, uh, I can say they're, they're all consistent and Mm -hmm. they work really hard to, um, to stay consistent and be clear with, with what their goals are. And obviously, you know, I believe I haven't been a part of Exos since the end of 2017. And so I know their trajectory has changed quite a bit. Uh, They're still trying to um, you know, serve all populations. Uh, but I would say the best answer is the leadership um, has is incredible. Mm-hmm. And they do a really good job to uh, spend time and, and dedicate time to to work together. And I know that sounds simple. Um, but it doesn't exist in a lot of organizations. Um, and I would say the um, the primary focus, you know, they keep the goal, the goal, so to speak. So if that is to work with all of the top hospitals in the world, then that's going to be their goal. If that's the goal to work with all of the best teams and professional organizations in the world, then that's their goal and and they stick to it. So I think that they're very clear and concise with, with what they're looking for and the team rallies around it. So when, as an employee, and I was an employee for about six years, um, you know, you start to learn, <laughs> you start to learn what's expected and, and you, you're able to see a successful organization operate. And so therefore, when you decide to um, advance, leave, move another direction, have different focus points, you know, you always have a clear understanding what a healthy, successful organization you know, looks like and how it operates. So you have that level of expectation um, that is going to assist you with your decision making, right? Because ultimately, it's all about the decisions that we make. And you have to decide um, if the organization that you are looking to join is an A organization. Yeah, because uh, uh, mindset coach uh, Trevor Moad, who I deeply respect, who spent some time at Exos, um, he always said, you know, you can't put an A guy in a D organization and expect a B, right? Yeah. So you have to ensure that the organization is is A plus, and and that's what uh, companies like Exos and companies like uh, private companies like Mike Wall Strength and Conditioning do, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're A organizations and therefore they can recruit A people that will have um, A jobs in the future. So, yeah. 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 And you said like, there's a few pieces, right? Like the leadership. And I know like I've met Mark Verstegen, I actually met him at the, the exact same conference that I met you at um, in Long Beach. And then, you know, talking with a lot of the other people who have been a part of Exos, it's all been about you learn very quickly 
what's expected, as you said, and they kind of filter out the chaff. Like if you're not meeting the expectation, they're like, thank you. You know, nothing against you. Like you're just not quite what we're, what we're looking for, but also they put you in the position, the best position to utilize the skills that you have in order to allow you to grow in what, you know, they kind of see your skill set as being right. Like mm-hmm. they put you in that, that position. Right. And that's once again, the, the part of that leadership piece. Yeah. And don't, don't get me wrong. They'll also throw you in the deep end and, yeah. you know, expect that you're going to, to stay alive. Um, but, you know, I, I believe because of the different levels of leadership that they have, um, you know, you have your, you know, your presidents, vice presidents, your directors, your managers, so forth and so on. It's, you know, there's a path to success if you want to be a long-term employee there. And they give people a lot of opportunities and myself included. So, for you know, forever grateful for the time that I spent there. Yeah. So you mentioned that it allows them to recruit a people, which means that you were an A person at some, but at that time, right before you actually got to EXO. So what's your story before that? Like, how did you mm-hmm. end up getting to, you know, I guess before 2011, if I'm doing my math correctly, the six years that you were at Exos, mm-hmm. what did you do before that to prepare you to get to that point? And what made you that a person, right? Like what mm-hmm. kind of life experiences or, or education brought you to that point? Um, you know, I, I always, I believe that, you know, I was uh, born and bred to do what I'm doing. My personal story from that perspective um, is based around sport and uh, my father and I had a goal, my mother as well, but we had a goal to um, allow me to have different life experiences through obtaining a college scholarship, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. historically what we do in the U.S. because we have those opportunities where our universities are providing, you know, scholarships to athletes to obviously pay for their education. And, you know, among the family discussions, it was like, hey, you can do it anyway, right? Music, uh, sport, academics, you know, but but you have to figure out what your path is and we want you to stick to it. So mm-hmm. in a way, I, yeah, I've been... I guess, grooming myself for this since uh, I would, I don't know, six, seven years old. Yeah. And so I've had uh, a lot of experience across different sports and, you know, training, you know, across men and women's teams. And, you know, for me, it's just a matter of my environment and what allowed me to, you know, to continue to, to strive to be an A person or be an A person is I've worked really hard to, provide myself with the right environments and mm-hmm. not all of them have been perfect. Um, and those are the ones where you learn the most out of, but you know, my path started as a young athlete transitioning into a collegiate athlete that then allowed me to, um, you know, start my master's degree, go through graduate assistance programs. And, and then that's when I was required to do an internship, an external internship. And yeah. that's where I came across Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning, um, you know, in 2005, 2006. And, and yeah, so it was always my goal to, you know, stay focused on, on what my plan was. And my plan was always to have you know, the most experiences possible and try to select the best environments that I can be in. And I mean, luckily, I I always say I'm very blessed with my career path, mm-hmm. but my launch pad was originally Mike Boyle Strength and, Strength and Conditioning, which allowed it allowed me the opportunity to work inside an, an Olympic sport, USA Hockey, yeah. um, allowed me to continue uh, working inside college weight rooms with, you know, assisting Mike at BU Hockey, uh, whether that was with uh, performance training or massage, because I also got my massage um, therapy license when I was living in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and it allowed me to get my first experience with not only professional athletes, which you know, it is a lot of fun and it's, it's, it's challenging, but it also gave me the first taste and experience with working with youth athletes. Um, so coming full circle, now we're in 2021, uh, that's my primary focus, you know, for the next 10 years is working with 
uh, youth athletes ranging from the ages of U8 to U18. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm kind of going full circle now after that first experience at MBSC. Um, and, and, and frankly, my number one goal was to travel the world. (laughs) And, um, and I always said, okay, this is great. I I absolutely love Boston. I believe one day I'll have a second home in the Boston area. That's how much I like it. Um, but my goals, um, my plan was to travel the world. And when I got recruited, um, to work, uh, with Exos, my job description was exactly that. I would spend about four months out of the year in Arizona. And then the rest of the year, I would be traveling all over the world, uh, doing education, um, going to site visits with our team contracts, uh, helping recruit our our, uh, staffing for all of our international contracts and, and things of that nature. So that could be with, you know, elite uh, professional football teams, uh, etc., rugby teams in in South America, and and yeah, that's what I signed up for. I signed up yeah. to travel the world, and for about six years, I traveled about a hundred thousand miles. Um, <laughs> you know, in a seven seven month, you know, six seven month time period, and it was a it was a wild ride. Um, yeah. But then, you know, I asked myself a really deep question in 2017, early 2017, because I started working with uh, youth soccer in the U.S. um, again, and I asked myself a really important question, and I I like to ask myself hard questions, and that question in 2017 was, okay, Nicole, you know, if you're doing exactly what you're doing right now, traveling the world, teaching, working with professional athletes, blah, 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 you know, would you like, are you going to be happy in 10 years? And it was an absolute clear no, Mm. um, regardless of the fact that, you know, I was working in what some people would call Disneyland, uh, which was (laughs) Exos, right? All the money facilities, perfect people, perfect athletes, you know, they would joke and criticize and say, oh, you work at Disneyland. That's why you can achieve all that you can achieve with your athletes, which I don't agree with, but whatever. But I asked myself that question and it was a clear no. And that's when I said, okay, then I need to develop a new path um, that is going to allow me to focus on youth development for the next 10 years. And that's exactly what I'm doing in Central and Eastern Europe is I'm working with um, and consulting with uh, professional academies uh, here in, in my part of the world. So that's mm-hmm. kind of that's kind of where I've been from a career standpoint. And and I actually took a little pit stop as we were talking before we jumped on. Uh, I took a little pit stop in Holland, and I was supporting a colleague who asked me to work with the Dutch national volleyball team for a season Mm -hmm. um, leading up to the Olympics while he was doing some other duties. Um, So yeah, I traveled the world uh, extensively for another seven months there. Nice. Yeah. So first traveling the world is amazing, especially when like I know for myself being able to travel and present like I, it's, I absolutely love it. Um, I love flying. Flying for me is like my time because there's no internet on the plane and I can just sit there, no distractions and do work. And it's a great time for me to brainstorm. So specifically my flights over to like Shanghai or to Korea or to Thailand, like I love those. Um, so I Especially get if that. you're sitting in front of the plane, right? Yeah. Well, me being six, <laughs> two, I have to get a preferred seat or I have to sit and be, like, I cannot do a 15 hour flight um, and, and sit in a regular seat on one of those planes, just cannot do it. Uh, so I actually want to ask you a question. What, what got you into, because Exos and, and just in general, there's athletes, there's young athletes, youth athletes, which you are, are kind of aiming like, and you're working with right now, there's Olympic athletes, there's professional athletes in, in different sports. What brought you or what what's kind of brought you into wanting to work with youth as opposed to the higher level elite athletes? Not that you don't work with them, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the drive is to towards that youth athlete. Yeah. So what's, yeah, what's brought me to the focus point that I'm at right now. Um, you know, I think 
think from a personal perspective, um, you know, you, you have to make some really important decisions if you want the responsibility to be a part of a professional team. Mm-hmm. Um, because anyone who's worked in a professional team or organization knows that it's a six, seven days a week kind of thing. You know, you work unlimited hours, whatever's needed um, to, to achieve the goal and you sign up for that responsibility. Um, and well, what I experienced when we were getting in the younger professional athletes or the athletes that were just signing their first contracts, um, across many sports is I was just starting to notice, I was like, wow, you know, we have these 21, 22 year old men and women who still, after all this time of being an athlete, probably their whole life cannot manage themselves, mm-hmm. right? They need resources, you know, like us, they need their entire teams of strength coaches and physios to, to almost hold their hand. And yeah. I didn't agree with that. I, I didn't agree with that. And I just wondered if, if I could um, f- find solutions uh, find you know build infrastructure build programs that would allow uh, exiting 18 19 year old athlete that is about to travel the world and perhaps jump in between teams because you don't work with just one team right you probably yeah. transition into five teams until you settle in for a long-term career if you make it that long and and that's essentially what I was experiencing is I felt that the professional athletes, the the younger professional athletes didn't know how to manage themselves. And, and that was my goal. My goal was to figure out solutions again, to, to teach, to educate athletes mm-hmm. and to essentially try to make them self-sufficient so that when they are bouncing between country to country, Uh, team to team, staff to staff that might not have similar values and principles that they could still have the fundamental truth underneath them so they can still do what they're getting paid to do. And so I just wanted to, you know, I I had uh, great experiences with professional athletes and I still work with um, professional athletes here on more of a one-on-one or consulting basis, but I want to I've always wanted to try to serve as many people as possible. And Mm -hmm. I just feel that I can have a bigger reach working with the younger athlete to give them a better opportunity in the future. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great thing. Like I know in, in most scenarios, when I'm thinking about health, fitness, uh, rehab, you're always trying to set the, the client up, whether they're a rehab client or whether they're a high performance athlete to be without you, right? Like to set them up for success. And and as you said, be able to manage themselves. So when it comes to rehab for me, like I'm looking for how can I, that what's the quickest way for me, not just to remove their pain, but to make them self-sufficient so they don't need me anymore. They don't have to see me three times a week or four times a week to deal with pain or deal with a tweak. How can they better manage that? So I love that you're taking that into youth athletics and bringing that into the, the sports world with people who, and, and like also remembering too, there are literally millions and millions of athletes out there who are young, who are wanting to, who have a goal to be a professional athlete and it always doesn't always work out actually rarely works out when you look at like the percentages of people who actually play youth sport with a goal of being a professional who actually get there it's it's very slim right like it's it's less than 1% of people actually become that professional athlete so that's awesome so this is going to go a totally opposite direction of where i was going to go with this at least this first part of the podcast but i want to get to know a little bit more about what you're doing, like what you're putting together to help these youth athlete better manage themselves in these Mm -hmm. situations. So like, what did you notice that they were really lacking when they were coming in? And then kind of what are you helping to put together to help bring up youth athletes to be Mm -hmm. basically self-sufficient and and Mm self-managing with that? Well, there's... um... There's certainly a lot of variables when it comes to working in team sports. And I think the first important 
um, point to make is to identify your role because I've been a part of organizations where I was internal. So that means I was the you know physical development coach. I was there on a daily basis, involved in the day-to-day -day communication, day-to-day -day practices, so forth and so on. Then, you know, that would be an internal role. Then you can be an SNC coach that plays more of an external role. So you could be a consultant or you could only be there, you know, for certain parts of the training uh, for just the physical development uh, portions or just the warm ups or whatever the case is. So you have to identify or I have to identify, depending on the various projects that I have going on, um, am I an internal you know, physical development coach, or mm -hmm. am I an external support role? I mean, either way, my job is to support the players and support the head sport coaches um, with whatever their goals are. My, my, my job is to help them achieve and, and be able to execute their plan. That's, that's simply my job. So that's the first point that uh, an SNC or physical development coach needs to identify is clearly identify, are you internal or are you external? Because mm. that requires a completely different communication that requires completely different expectations from the coaches and the players. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it looks as from any of your listeners that work in a private sector, private facilities, right? You know that that's also a completely different ball game because you don't understand completely it's rare that you understand the practice demands, um, the practice uh, program, any of the program design. It's rare that you know all of those details. So it's difficult to match, especially when it comes to in-season training and programming, it's difficult to uh, match the training demands because you mm -hmm. don't know what's going on from a day-to-day -day perspective. Um, so those two points are, are very different too. Are you working in the team setting or are you supporting the athlete in a private facility again externally mm -hmm. um but you know i think once you identify and i'm just going to stick to one topic because i think these scenarios are quite different but if you're working in the team setting and you're trying to you know set up the environment the infrastructure where the young athletes are learning how to manage themselves you know, we have to first figure out the the concept of time, right? Mm -hmm. How much time am I going to be, you know, allowed to, to work with these athletes? And the truth of the matter is, you know, out of 100% of time across the week that's available, um, you know, the physical development coach maximum usually is getting at the low end, you know, 15%. Yeah. you know, at the higher end, 25%. And that's a lot of time when it comes mm -hmm. to a team structure. Um, so that's the first variable that you have to understand is how much time do you have to work with these athletes? And then based off of that, you can start to prioritize what your coaching principles that you're going to establish within that time frame, Because, <laughs> you know, I come from a land of perfect world scenarios, right? <laughs> uh, I, you know, perfect in Mike Boyle strength and conditioning and, and a company like Exos, right? They have um, similar training methodology, right? They're, yeah. they're system components from pillar preparation all the way down to regeneration. Well, it, it's not that simple in a team setting to insert all of those components, especially, yeah. right, if you're working with younger kids. So that's why my number one goal is always to figure out, okay, how much time do we have? Um, and that will help me determine how I want to slowly implement, right, various system components. And the starting point in terms of how we're getting these kids to, to learn how to manage themselves is, is basically we're giving them exposure to 360 degrees of movement. And if mm -hmm. we're working with athletes under the age of 12, right, that's going to be more in a game-based format. That's going to be obviously less structured and you're going to see a lot of movement errors, so to speak, because you're just letting them play and explore. Yeah. But once they get, honestly, once they get, you know, U12 and above, which 
um, in the youth development space, right? You can have three categories, U12 to U15 is classified as the development stage. Yeah. Well, when you start to get into the development stage, then things just naturally become a lot more serious, um, serious for the athletes, serious for the parents and serious for the coaches. So mm-hmm. that's when you'll start to transition into more of a, you know, semi-structured, structured environment before leading up to their performance stage, which is U16 and above, you know, so kind of circling back to answer your question, you know, we have to identify based off of the stages that we're working with, right? Foundation under, you know, under 11, 11 and under development, 12 to 15 and performance 16 plus, we have to identify, okay, which system components, so to Mm -hmm. speak, if I can use that language, do we need or do we want to implement across these phases based off of the time that we have? And obviously foundation stage, we have minimal time and then development and performance, we start to increase that. So, you know, obviously that would be your um, primarily your on field work because I work right now um, in football soccer. So yeah. when you're working, especially with the foundation and development, the majority of your time is going to be spent doing your on field work, meeting your uh, warm ups, your plyometrics, your speed sessions, and any of your conditioning, so to speak. So that will then transition as they get a little bit older development and performance. And then we start to do more of the testing evaluation, more indoor type of work. So it all depends on the amount of time you have. And if we can be even more specific as physical development coaches, it really depends on the stage of development. So we classified those three there. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I know I used to work, uh, when I was at that, uh, strength and conditioning facility, complete performance center in Ajax here for about five years. Like we worked with athletes from the age of nine, all the way up to like, well, we had people who are professional athletes, but primarily like college university athletes as well, whether they're in the States or here in Canada. And yeah, it's just, learning how the structure of what you do with those individuals changes drastically because you're not going to get a nine, 10 year old to do the same structured program that you're going to have, you know, a 16, 17 year old do one, because they don't see it as that serious, right? They half the time, they just think it's fun. It's an outing that they go to go and play. That's what they see it as often. Mm -hmm. And, um, so you can't have that same, even mental expectation going into those situations. Uh, but I, you did mention something because like, I love what you say with regards to figure out what your role is external, internal, like, are you in the situation with them? Are you kind of out on the side? Um, but I wanted to talk, you mentioned coaching principles, right? When you have Mm -hmm. to look at, when you look at your time that you have and you have to pick and choose which, areas you're going to really focus on with that specific group. Can you talk about how you prioritize what, what, what first, what the coaching principles are like for you mm-hmm. um, and how you prioritize those. And let's just use kind of that, uh, that developmental stage from U11 up to U15. And we'll just mm-hmm. kind of stick in there so we don't have to go off and mm-hmm. name all, but primary coaching principles, what are they? And then how do you prioritize those for your athletes mm-hmm. you know it's it's funny that i especially in the development stage and it's funny that you pick that stage so u12 to u15 which is you know theoretically um the stage where they're going to be going through their biggest changes of growth and maturation right mm-hmm. um if you ask me and the principles are, are consistent across all the age groups uh, but this first one um, that I believe is a principle for not only coaches and, but also athletes. But so let me actually specify this here in Europe. Um, it's not like the U S or, or perhaps Canada. And I'll, I'll go back to principles in just a second, but here in Europe where I am, um, it's, it's underdeveloped mm-hmm. meaning it's not going to be a situation like the German national football team where they have, you know, 
handful of physios, handful of SNC coaches, a handful of uh, data scientists, right? You're not going to have those, um, those teams involved. Quite opposite here, what I'm experiencing is you're actually just going to have the skill coach. Mm-hmm. So now if you're looking in the youth development space, the skill coach, so the same coach that's teaching you how to play basketball, how to play football, right? Um, they're the ones having to implement the physical development principles. So yeah. that is a completely different challenge. And I used to um, focus on teaching other performance or physical development coaches on you know what I do so they can therefore help their athletes but it's actually transitioned um, since 2008 to me teaching skill coaches sport coaches on how to implement those principles so regardless of you know if I'm working with the coach or I'm working with the athlete you know truthful and transparent communication is key yeah. And so that's one of the principles that I have to keep, you know, one of my first priorities is that. And I explain to them that I'm always going to be truthful and I'm always going to be transparent. You know, like I'm, I'm going to be very honest with what I'm observing. Um, then we're going to try to back it up with science and, and do any testing and evaluation but when it comes to this truthful and transparent communication regarding coaches, mm-hmm. then we're just saying, okay, our number one goal in order for us to have a chance to work together for more than one season is we need to build a common language, right? Yeah. I need to understand exactly what you're looking for and you need to understand what I'm looking to achieve. So truthful and transparent communication from a coaching perspective is that idea of building a common language. Okay, yeah. boom, that's the coach. From a youth athlete, and you specified the development stage, U12 to U15, um, truthful and tra- transparent communication actually starts with teaching those athletes, um, honestly, coping skills. I I know that sounds strange, Mm -hmm. but especially in this bucket, as I like to call it, 12 to 15, they're going to be having um, more volume. uh, You know, they're going to have more injuries. They're going to have more responsibilities from coaches and parents, right? They're going to fail um they're going to not start or play or whatever the situation is and i just found you know with my time here in europe um you know since since 2018 and beyond that that was one of the first things that i had to start teaching these athletes specifically at the development stage the foundation yeah. stage you know, maybe not so much, right? We, we just try to have good communication and we have all the principles of if I'm working with a nine-year-old, right? I try my best to get on eye level. So I'm on my knees a lot or in a half kneeling position to have, you know, communication with them. So it's principles yeah. like that with the younger ages. But, you know, when it comes to communication with a development stage, it is telling them, listen, this is not going to be, you know, a smooth linear ride or straight road, it's going to be really bumpy. So here's what we have to expect. Here are the things that we have to do every day when we come into the academy. And that that, honestly, that's been um, a lifesaver for me. And I'm not saying that it's perfect, but it's being, you know, sympathetic. And I think that's the interesting part about me being um, you know, one of few women in, in professional uh, sport and in professional youth academy, so to speak, um, that I do try to have, you know, a more understanding and sympathetic, um, you know, observation with what's going on. And mm-hmm. so that's honestly, you know, I said Exos really had a idea of being clear and concise, right? That was one of their their core values or principles. But for me, I'm just really trying to make my number one focus being that truthful and transparent communication. Because when the athlete transitions to the performance stage, 16, 17, 18 plus, 
right? Now mm -hmm. they're having to do fatigue, you know, management, monitoring, maybe RPE scales and all this. And, you know, athletes will lie to, to get in the starting lineup, so to speak. Yeah. So that's when, if I'm teaching a young athlete, how to communicate with me from the age of eight, nine years old by making simple eye contact. Cause I don't know how many eight or nine year olds you work with, but they look down to the ground these days. Right. And I'm yeah. always, you know, staring at them um, with the smile, but staring at them. And so if I can start to teach a nine-year-old how to communicate with another person and an adult, and then I can start to teach them coping skills when they're in the development stage. Well, then when we start to ask them these difficult questions with, hey, how's your hamstring feeling? Or how's your foot or your ankle? Or, you know, how are things at home? Those mm -hmm. conversations just get a little bit easier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love yeah, coping skills because you see um, in in youth athletics all the time, like no idea. And, and actually, even outside of athletics, I look at school, right? Like teaching in college and the people growing up in this generation, and I don't know if it was the same and I was just naive to it um, because of the way that I was brought up or or what it was like for you in this scenario, like with, with this, but no idea how to handle failure, disappointment, whatever it is, right. It's, um, it's success or bust basically. And, and they just don't know how to overcome failure. So I love that you're weaving that into youth development where you are. And hopefully that percolates to, you know, wherever else you end up going and you're able to build that up as well. Like, I, like, as you're saying that, I'm like, oh, I know a few academy, you know, people who run academies, like soccer academies here. And I'm like, oh, maybe I can go in and just chat with them about, <laughs> maybe I'll mm -hmm. pick your brain a bit more later. But um, yeah, I think that's a great thing to do is help them with those coping strategies, because that's going to help them not just in athletics, but in the rest of their life as well, right? You're just building life skills and just bringing it into the athletic world because there is such a like Europe in soccer, like there's such high pressure to do that. Right. It's like Canada and hockey, right. It's just, it's just, that's just the way it is. Uh, baseball and football in the U S like, that's just, these are the things that, you know, if, if, if you're an athlete, those are the, those are the directions you're going with that. Right. And if you don't, mm -hmm. you don't do it, you don't achieve it. Like, well, well, what's, what am I going to do now? Um, mm -hmm. I had a, a good friend actually who um, I was training him and he went over and played uh, for the Glasgow Rangers uh, football team. And he was a, a fantastic player. It came up through the youth development program here in Canada. He was playing for uh, not the men's national, but you know, U18, U17, U16 Canada national team went to the world cups for all those and uh, yeah, he just came back and was playing here, just kind of left, came back to Canada, was playing here for a bit and just decided, I'm, I don't want to keep doing this. Like I need to, I need to now make the decision to move on. Um, and this mm -hmm. is a guy who didn't go to college, didn't go to university, didn't have that because, you know, when you're going into professional soccer, like you start really early, right? You're mm -hmm. lucky to finish high school right here. And so, um, yeah. But he had that background, he had that built up of, you know, what do I do in these situations? Like he never let himself be brought down by anything that was going on, or at least never let me see it, right? Was always mm -hmm. upbeat with it, was always willing to kind of take a back seat if it meant taking two steps forward in the future, right? Like with those, mm -hmm. um, especially injuries, like he had quite a few injuries as well, but. Well, I'm actually, yeah. you know, when I think about, I, I, I try hard these days to think about, okay, like, why is this important for me? Like, why is this one of my principles? Um, and when I, when I ask myself, like, why is this so important for me to teach these young kids how to cope? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it really comes down to their life after sport. And, you know, I can speak from personal experience and, you know, I've seen my athletes, um, my, you know, people that I've been in, in deep relationships with uh, who were professional athletes, retired, and 
you know, they, they essentially don't know what to do with themselves, you yeah. know, put simply, and, and their life is quite challenging and difficult, uh, because for the most part, their identity was being, you know, this athlete, you know, whether they're at the highest levels or not, it doesn't matter. And, and I think that's what, you know, a lot of kids are going to experience when they don't make it to the first team, so to speak, and yeah. they get injured or whatever, right? I think the reason why I think it's important to, to teach them these sort of communication skills and coping skills is because there is at some point going to be a life after sport. And we've seen it in American football with, you know, head injuries. We've yep. seen it, you know, with, with many professional athletes and, you know, there's more to them than, than being an athlete, but when they're in it, when they're performing and, and playing, right. They, they, that's their only focus, which is good, right. That's what makes yeah. them so great. But yeah. I just think that the reason why I think that's so important is because I've seen too many people and, and I had that experience as well as I, I struggled, like I struggled not being able to identify as an athlete. Yeah. And then when I started doing more business development and maybe teaching more than I was coaching because that happened for I don't know maybe like two or three years of my career then I lost my identity of coaching yeah. and so we identify with these aspects of our lives and you know we need to understand how to um, you know, identify with who we are as, as human beings and individuals. And that's another topic, but I think that's yeah. the reason why I think this is important. So before we wrap up part number one, I just want to kind of finish up that because as you were saying that, I'm like, I wonder if she's going to use the word and you used it, you said identity, right? Like they identify as I'm a, I'm Adam, the hockey player or the soccer player, or I'm, you know, whatever, like that's what you identify as. And so that's where you get all of your, um, you know, the, your feeling of significance is from playing that sport, right? And once you lose that, whether it be because of injury, because you get cut, because um, you retire, whatever it is, now you've lost that, as you said, if you only identify as that, you've just lost your entire identity. And it, for you, like it could take years. I know there's a lot of athletes. This has happened a lot in football and in hockey, like any contact sports where there's a lot of it, like uh, contact to the head. Um, a lot of them don't make it right. Like they end up committing suicide for some, because they just can't regain that. They can't find an identity, an identity outside of that. So how do you combat like at a young age when they maybe don't have that strong feeling of identity? How do you help them understand that it's like, it's not just sport, like athletics, it's, it's, this is, this is a, an occupation, right? That you're looking to go into, but this isn't who you are. How do you come like, <laughs> right? You know, it's, it's tough because especially um, when kids wear fancy logos, Okay, so for example, for example, um, here in Poland, uh, I supported, I support um, a youth academy that is a football academy from Germany. So BVB, right, Borussia Dortmund. And um, it's kids identify with putting on that jersey and wearing mm -hmm. that logo because their favorite player wears that that jersey and logo and so it's really challenging when you work for a professional academy right any of the english premier academies or any of the big spanish teams or whatever the case is and in our case here in poland we're a branch of a, a top german club mm -hmm. and it, it's really difficult when you put that logo on and what is that that's ego yeah right and so you know how are you teaching these kids like it's it's all about you know being able to teach respect um you know command respect make sure that they understand boundaries and yeah. you know you can you can argue that that's important for adults but one of the things that I tried to do with younger athletes is okay yes we're wearing we're part of a professional organization yes you have good facilities and nice uniforms and good balls and you wear a really fancy logo yeah. but this is actually the perfect time to start 
teaching them what the word boundaries mean. And again, that could be true with adults, but we just have to create that, that structure, so to speak with, with the younger athlete. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that even outside of sport, when you're working with, you know, even just the, the average client who, you know, works in an office or something like that, right. They identify, they always find something to identify as right. Something to identify them. And uh, yeah, whenever they lose it, you know, you look at retirement, like what happens in retirement where people oftentimes don't know what to do with themselves because they identified as the person who worked there. Um, yeah. So interesting. I think that's a very interesting um, kind of like idea. And I love that you're, you're working on that with people, but um, I think this is a great place to just end part one and uh, we'll pick it up with some kind of different pieces. So we'll kind of move away from the Mm -hmm. athlete development side and we'll, we'll grab a few other topics, but we'll do Mm -hmm. that in part number two. And, and sorry, I'm now I'm running the podcast, right? No, sorry, right. listeners. Um, but you know, I just want to make sure that another principle that I firmly believe in, and, and we we are going to talk about this in part two. But just to kind of keep it clean for the listeners, because they're like, oh, Nicole only said one principle, um, <laughs> you know, like, and this is what we're going to talk about in part two, but. For me, my number one goal is to help create like most efficient movers, right? And that's where movement mechanics come in. That's where teaching them how to run, jump, skip, roll, all that comes in. But for me, as long as that's one of my key principles, um, I'm always reminded that any of my programming, um, any of my uh, communication always is surrounding my objective of creating the most efficient mover. So I'm sure we'll talk about yes. that in part two. Well, and, and I actually, I wasn't forgetting that. I actually had already three principles down and I just added that as the fourth. So we have four okay. principles. I have communication, transparency, coping skills. I have those as three different yeah. ones. It might all be one, okay. but that's fine. All right, Super. we'll see you in part number Good. two. All right, thank you. State of the Industry Podcast. I'll be back.